Hey folks, and welcome to the Deconstructor of Fun podcast. I'm your host today, Mishka Katkov, and my guest is Anton Galfin, CEO of social casino company Huge Games. Now, Huge is hugely interesting now because of their IPO this quarter. So in this podcast, Anton and I talk about why they're IPOing. We're going to talk about the company's M&A strategy, why social casino companies are so great acquirers, and how Anton sees IDFA impacting their M&A strategy. Now, I've known Anton for a while now, and he's a, he's a powerhouse. He's a, a true engine of a man, and after 20 years in games industry, he clearly still loves it and is just always moving forward, always finding new interesting uh, things to push and, and you know ways for the company to grow. So if you like this podcast, and I think you'll do, uh, I suggest you check out Joachim Ockren's Elite Game Developers podcast because Anton was there last week from the recording of, of this one. And that's where he talked about his entrepreneurial journey from a startup founder to sleeping at his you know studio office to to the point where he's now a CEO of a multi-hundred million dollar public, soon to be public company. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I enjoyed recording it. And yeah, without further ado. Uh, a little shout out to our amazing sponsors. We pretty much use just about every single product that uh, Iron Source offers. We're, we're completely integrated with the platform. Of course, the mediation products, all ad ad products, and a company that can assist us in doing UA and monetization and all the uh, additional products that come along with it. It takes a lot of uh, headache away from us. It takes a lot of the hard, busy work off of our hands, having a kind of an all-in-one platform. You just heard Andrew Stone. He's the CEO at Random Logic Games, who use IronSource's platform to grow their games in the smartest way possible. If you want to grow like Random Logic, you can get the SDK on IronSource's website. That's ironsrc.com. We all know it. Mobile marketing is going through a paradigm shift. With the industry moving towards a more aggregate way of measuring marketing efforts, Marketers' ability to measure and understand the impact of their marketing investments is further curtailed. AppsFlyer, though, is not sitting on the sidelines. The company has set a goal to help their customers and the entire mobile ecosystem to successfully navigate the new era of mobile marketing. And that's where AppsFlyer's latest product, the Incrementality Solution, comes to play. It's a product that truly empowers marketers to gain a better understanding of the real value that their marketing efforts hold. AppsFlyer's incrementality solution is built around remarketing. It simplifies the process of designing, executing, and analyzing incremental lift tests at scale, which previously was something that only the biggest players on the market were able to do. With with incrementality, marketers can focus on the end goal of their test without actually having to worry about the heavy lifting that comes with it. To learn more about incrementality and to read the success stories from publishers like Kabam, I suggest you head out to appsflyers.com. Good morning, Anton. How are you doing? Hey, Miska. Uh, I'm really good. Uh, how are you doing? Well, this is, a, this is a funny thing. So we decided to do this podcast and you were like, well, let's do it. And let's do it in the morning. And now it's like, it's 7 a.m. <laughs> it's really early. And you're kind of probably having like sev- second thoughts about, about the, uh, the time, the time for, uh, for recording. 
Yeah, you know, this is one of these mornings that I need to wear triple huge. Uh, so I have my hoodie, <laughs> T-shirt and whatnot. So uh, uh, it's 7 a.m. Uh, and uh, let's see what uh, follows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we're not even coffeeed up. So so to all the listeners, um, this is this is risky. But as as the as the episode proceeds, we'll be drinking more and more coffee and getting into it. So exactly. So before before we start talking about the uh, huge IPO, uh, let's talk about let's do some confession. So I'll do one confession. Um, I would say that so we've met before and we've talked about potentially working on something something together, and then I ended up starting a company. So. I would blame you for that because I got so excited because you're such a energizing entrepreneur. And I'm like, I really want to work with this man. And at the same time, I really want to be an entrepreneur because look at him. He's like, he's, he's like just on fire 24 seven. So I don't know if I will thank you for this or blame you for this, (laughs) (laughs) but you're, you're one of the key catalysts of, uh, of putting me on this on this journey. So that's my confession before we start off. Well, thank you, Miss. I have something more meaty uh, myself, but I, <laughs> but I think I can confess. Um, yeah, so um, certainly um, we know each other. And uh, I'm happy to hear that uh, I've uh, uh, been helping you to kind of uh, see the light and uh, 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 hoping uh, uh, that the games you are now building will be super successful. So uh, um, um, my confession, um, you know, a few years ago when we uh, had chance to put the band back together and start huge, uh, um, I made a promise to myself that um, um, I will work very hard towards uh, taking huge to an IPO to become a public global company. And uh, now we are quite close. The promise was that when that happens, I will take tattoo. <laughs> and uh, I didn't decide uh, where I would be placing it. And uh, but it was just a kind of a mental promise to myself that I will do it. And now when I'm getting closer, I'm having second thoughts that, well, is it important? So maybe I need to ask uh, the DOF community that what should I do? So uh, should I keep the promise or uh, what do you guys think? I think I think you should definitely should keep the promise, but not ask the DOF community. I would say that will be like an internal competition inside huge where all the artists and everybody can actually um, design the tattoo. No, I'm getting competition. scared. <laughs> no, I'm getting <laughs> the scared. The company would vote and that's the tattoo that you would get. <laughs> Well, you know, now I start having these uh, regrets uh, doing this podcast. So, but that's Just that's my idea. confession. So uh, I'm still thinking about it, and uh, uh, happy to hear your thoughts. Uh, <laughs> All right, so everybody can comment on what kind of tattoos should uh, Anton Anton get um, as he uh, as he IPOs. But let's let's get to the uh, let's get to the the real subject. Why people are listening to it. So. Huge announced that the intention to float on Warsaw Stock Exchange, which didn't come as a surprise since you've hinted about it back in September 2020, and the IPO is due to be completed within first quarter of 2021, so coming in really, really soon. And the company is currently looking at February, but there's no specific date announced at this time. Uh, the primary offering will be 150 million and through sales of new shares. 
And there will be a secondary offering that is expected to raise a similar amount, and that will allow Huge to secure at least $300 million. So my question is, and, and probably a lot of people are wondering the same thing, is why are you IPO? So um, I'm asking this again, coming in from, from, uh, from my perspective, having worked at two different public companies, gaming companies, and seeing that, that running a public mobile gaming company is full of volatility. You know, the best example is probably Zynga. Started off with about $10 a share. I don't remember even when, probably 211 uh, or 212 when they, when they, when they IPO'd. Then they went down to under $2 and currently sitting at $11. So that's quite a journey. And I have to confess that I was there when it went under $2 and through, through the, uh, the long skit. It was, um, it was harsh, even though nothing is really changing. It's only a number in the stock exchange, but it's still on everybody's mind, even if, you know, even they're just employees in the company. And of course, there's Rovio. And again, this is kind of sounding horrible because again, I was there the day when the stock got halved. And it was very, very weird. It's just one normal uh, quarterly release. And suddenly the company is valued. I think we need to study we need to study your CV clearly, you know, a bit yes. more closely. Yeah. You know, what, yeah. what has happened for, for those companies when Visco has been around? <laughs> there were also some companies that got sold for billions at the same time. So let's, let's okay, okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, naturally, I'm pointing on these two examples because I was there and these were my kind of low points. And I'm talking about volatility. There are, of course, good things. Um, so, so yes, why are you IPOing? Uh, given that Given these these challenges and and the the stock essentially leave, living off growth, so you will be have to constantly getting huger. So so yeah, yeah. Th thank you. That great question. So uh, uh, you know the IPO, um, why why it matters and uh, why it's super exciting for us and uh, for me personally. There's quite a lot to share. I'll start that the uh, huge IPO is really transformational uh, for the for the company, and um, let's start from the point one. So uh, it's really powering and supercharging huge brand to live and grow be way beyond my existence in this world. So that's something that um, I've been dreaming for quite some time, uh, leaving a legacy leaving something that would be permanent. And uh, when you are building a startup, you know, and, and uh, uh, you have investors, you know, it's, there's always exit, you know, somewhere in the horizon. So for me, you know, IPO is also means to live forever, you know, brand wise. So um, I didn't really, you know, see it appealing to sell the company after I had sold it already once and bought it back. So that's the first point. Uh, second, uh, it is more maybe closer to today's business and, and kind of a near midterm. So um, we are clearly uh, raising significant amounts of capital for our build and buy strategy. Uh, it's all about accelerating growth, uh, going for kind of doing acquisitions on a systematically and, and um, teaming up with founders and best creators and teams out there. 
So I would say that that's the primary reason uh, why we are doing it now, because uh, uh, clearly there's a consolidation going on and uh, we are seeking to play a lot more meaningful role um, in, in that uh, industry consolidation. And thirdly, um, Huge is a global company. I've, uh, when we started, uh, we had two key words. The other one was global and the other word was social. We wanted to do highly social you know, uh, games and we started talking about huge play together experience uh, at some point. Soon we will be a public global company, and that's a big deal. So uh, certainly it uh, uh, kind of means some challenges. As, as you said, you are, you are there, out there, and you have a kind of daily value. And uh, um, transitioning from a private to a public company, I can say that we've been working to do that for quite some time. So, and I think although the work is never really finished because things are changing, but right now we are very ready for IPO and it's all very exciting. So uh, long days, a uh, lot of meetings, but uh, I'm super pumped uh, what's ahead. Awesome. And, and here's the thing. Okay, I understand legacy 100%. Uh, of course, that's once you achieve the, uh, the basic things, then it, then it really becomes about legacy. And that's what that's what you know a lot of people maybe don't understand like the money and that kind of thing doesn't make you happy it's it's much bigger things and then of course having something you've created live forever uh is is a is a very big thing to achieve now, it is it is and then i wanted to to point out a couple of things because normally when you announce ipo now people would say oh my god of course they're looking to capitalize from the market just going crazy about games but i can attest that you were talking about this way before uh, way before lockdowns, way before COVID, back in the days when we just thought that was like a little flu thing going in Wuhan. It's not a, an, not nothing to do with us. So, so this is not COVID related at all. And these processes take a long time. So people they are take, kind of, yeah. people are misunderstanding when they see, you know, Kraftons and other companies looking to IPO now. It's not because of the lockdowns. It's because this process has been ongoing. It just happened to to coincide with a good time in the market. And Absolutely. So uh, the process takes uh, a lot of time, and um, um, second, secondly, you know the kind of what's been now going on on the public markets on the gaming. So uh, uh, obviously, if you would only now start preparing, you would be maybe you know IPOing next year, mm -hmm. uh, depending where you do it and so on. So um, we had no idea of uh, kind of Roblox and all these other companies uh, going for their IPOs. And uh, um, we are very happy that the market condition seems to be very good. Uh, yeah. And uh, um, kind of a, from a gaming point of view, it's been, uh, of course, a 2020 was a special year, but uh, you look uh, <clears throat> how the macro outlook is looking. So the industry keeps on growing. So um, um, I think it's an excellent time um, uh, to go public. Yeah, yeah, it's just happy, in a way, happy coincidence, not happy overall for exactly. everybody, but, but for huge. And, and the final point was this build and buy. And by build and buy, just to, so I understand correctly, uh, the, uh, the strategy to raise money to build and buy, build meaning internally and buy meaning externally. So it's inorganic and organic growth. 
That's right. So although sometimes when we uh, we are very flexible when it comes to this buy, so it means uh, using our capital, know-how, technology, all these things what we built uh, to basically uh, delivering additional inorganic growth. And uh, sometimes uh, it may have a bit of a build flavor. You know, if we see external team that the game is quite good, KPIs are great, but it's not yet ready. Mm-hmm. So it requires still some more, you know, kind of building. So uh, there's that flavor, but essentially uh, you are correct. Mm-hmm. So uh, building meanings uh, mean, means that we are uh, doing something new, uh, not necessarily from the scratch, uh, and the buy is that we are buying something that's already exists and uh, uh, hopefully can be, you know, uh, scaled uh, further. Got it. All right. So let's let's talk about mitigating the risk. So, I, of course, I raised the, uh, the negative sides of, of being a public company. So how do you sort of maximize the gains and mitigate the risks? And, and I'll just do an example. In many ways, the Zynga under Frank is sort of a poster boy of what success looks like, or especially what turnaround looks like. Uh, what they did is they stopped significantly investing into diver- internal development, which was happening especially out of their San Francisco studio, and started aqu- aqu- acquiring companies that have a very healthy EBITDA, out of which, you know, the Grams, the small uh, small giants, the Peaks, uh, well, especially the Gram and the small giant were, were on growth tra- trajectory, and they helped them to to really, they bought and built. So basically that way around. Um, and what's interesting in their MA strategy, unlike what Zynga used to do in MA previously and what a lot of companies did previously is that they implement, implemented this sort of a city-state model uh, from uh, that allowed them to go from one big, one big acquisition to a bigger one. And by city-state, I mean, once they acquire Graham or Small Giant, they left them quite autonomous and the approach has been more, I mean, we've recorded this on a podcast with Chris Petrovic. So if you guys want to go back, if he explains it, but essentially to summarize it, once they acquire a company, they provide them with certain services that a big house can offer, and then the company can pick and choose. And then of course, there's Playtika that also is IPO, no, just IPO'd quite recently. They have a quite similar approach, but a little bit more, um, instead of offering, they say, well, hey, great job here are the tools that you should be using to further grow. And both, I'm mentioning Zynga and Playtika because both have done excellent job in acquiring. And after the acquisition, the acquisition has actually grown even more. So everybody is happy after that. So, so yeah, so how do you plan this? How do you see the M&A going? And, and what is your kind of a strategy that, that mitigates the risks and actually makes the, uh, the, the IPO successful or the acquisition successful? Sure. So um, uh, these examples that you mentioned, so uh, we've been studying, obviously, uh, other companies and uh, um, some of our team members have been part of these companies as well. So uh, um, we, we have a kind of a insights, um, uh, what has been working and whatnot. And uh, as you said, the DOF, the episode with Chris Petrovic, uh, uh, is uh, fantastic to listen. So um, uh, some uh, really good uh, advice. I'd say that um, when we talk of our strategy and how, how it's different. So first of all, let's notice that Huge talks about build and buy. So we do both. And we do 
we do build, we do buy, and we do this systematically over a period of long time. And to understand this better, I think you have to understand huge DNA and how we operate a bit better. So during the years uh, uh, in the industry, I think we've learned uh, a lot about building games, building free-to-play games, doing monetization, doing live ops, and we built many great games ourselves. You know, I started in 2002, and it's a long list of games that uh, uh, I've been uh, involved with. And we do building uh, new games via our own studios, and I have no doubts that we will be building many more uh, games in the future. So building games is in our blood. And we understand that our mission to empower billions of people to play together, it's like a crazy big long-term mission. And uh, it's one hell of an undertaking. So how do you get to scale of billions? Is not one year job, but certainly multi-year operation. And besides building games, uh, we've been building this huge network and a technology layer already for years. Same time, we have also always done buy, as it's in my blood, <clears throat> to be doing investments and acquisitions as an uh, investor and uh, active startup guy. So when you look at my resume, you can find decent amount of startup investments, exits and acquisitions. It's been a long journey for me already, about 20 years. Uh, and in that sense, uh, the strategy of build and buy uh, has been our thinking and strategy for years. And only now, in the context of the huge IPO, uh, we are taking our capabilities to a whole new level. Uh, and uh, that will significantly enhance our market impact. Um, and. Uh, as said already earlier, we are seeking to play a much more significant role in the industry consolidation. What does all that mean in layman terms? I think it means that we are super excited to team up and uh, play together with the best teams, do that at global scale in systematic fashion is in nutshell the huge game plan. Mm. What you if, if you ask about you know, how Platica and Zynga are doing it, uh, for sure you are looking you know teams that are already doing great, that they, are, uh, they have great KPIs, they are profitable, and uh, uh, you are coming in with this opt-in menu, what this Chris uh, kind of was talking about in the earlier epi episode. I think our approach in that sense is, is not uh, massively different. We have our own constraints and we have our own people. So at the end of the day, I think it's a lot about uh, uh, alignment and this sort of a culture chemistry match as well, because at least when we are looking acquisition, usually we are thinking long-term. So uh, you are looking to team up for years. So uh, that's, that's, that's what we are, uh, looking for, and we, we are for sure looking, you know, uh, create uh, growth uh, companies and uh, uh, also games that would be complementing our portfolio. Yeah, and and of course, when when we're talking about uh, Platika or especially Zynga, they didn't start off with acquiring Gram. There were much more smaller acquisitions that were 
that kind of prove that they can acquire, but those acquisitions required them to be much more active in building those companies up. And only after those, they got into the grams, the small giants and the opt-in menus and so forth. So, so understand, like it, it really depends on the type of a company that you acquire, uh, whether they will need help in building or whether they need help in, in growing. And they're the ones that need help in growing, that means they, they know how to build. Everything is cool. They've gotten to a very stable place. And now it's like, how do we reach that next level? Um, so I wanted to ask about, about publishing part because Huge has been doing publishing and I've definitely played traffic puzzle the most. That was one of the Thank games you. that you guys published. It's a, uh, <laughs> I mean, I play puzzle games some, you know, to some extent, but traffic puzzle kind of hit me. I don't know why. Maybe it's because it doesn't have candy and just has cars. So, so it's, like a puzzle it's, a, it's a great game and uh, really, you know, fun, unique, uh, casual puzzle game. I, yeah. I'd say so. I'm glad you found it. Yeah, it's, 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 and it's difficult. But anyway, so guys, download traffic puzzle. It's, it's actually like as, as a puzzle game, it's really good. Super um, fun. <laughs> so, so I was asking, like, how does how does publishing fit in? And I would do an example again of a, of a company like Scopely that does a lot of acquisitions. And their model is, is quite interesting as well because they start working with a developer that knows how to make games, but probably doesn't really know how to publish games. Doesn't have that technology platform to, to grow. Doesn't have, um, yeah, just basically just a, a, a team that can execute a game pretty well. And, and then they have this model where where they make a deal very early on, work together, learn how to work together, help them out to, to build certain things. So they have both internal team that is guiding the external team. And if everything goes well and that game goes out and the KPIs are good, then they basically make it official. And that's a, that's a point where that becomes a Scopely studio. So very, very different strategy, but again, seems to be working really, really well uh, given how given the studios that they've acquired, like Digit with uh, with Star Trek Fleet Command that is, I don't know, making probably like 10 million a month. So so um, just as an example, and the, the recent um, recent Spanish acquisition. So anyway, just to summarize the question, how do you see publishing fitting with the build and, and, and buy strategy? Yeah, so uh, when we talk of uh, buy, again, the buy means using Hughes's capital and resources for delivering for us extra inorganic growth by publishing investment acquisitions and you know potential new ways of uh, uh, other ways of doing new business you know business development uh, sort, sort of things how we uh, where the growth would be coming uh, outside our existing games publishing um, so sometimes when you meet developers you know their needs are highly different so um, sometimes the uh, developers already have you know enough capital they are not looking investments uh, they are not looking to sell it's too early and uh, they are simply looking you know uh, a solution uh, a partner uh, uh, to help them on the UA side and uh, uh, that's you know one reason why to do a publishing deal. So uh, example, traffic puzzle, uh, that's coming from our publishing and we are really pleased uh, um, of uh, uh, traffic puzzle and uh, where, where the title is heading. Uh, so, you know, the flexibility, I al already mentioned that uh, we try to be uh, very flexible when we meet um, um, 
uh, different uh, uh, teams and creators uh, out there. Um, you really uh, need to understand uh, their situation and first listen. You want to listen a lot uh, and uh, of course play the games. So is the game something that we are highly excited of? Do we see uh, what is the kind of a vision where the game will be in the you know next six to 12 months, if not 24 months? And uh, I think um, most it's it's a high the industry is a lot about talent, right? It's a lot about the quality of the teams because there's a lot of competition as well. So again, if if I think um, you know what publishing means uh, for us, it's a one way, uh, one solution. Uh, to kind of team up um, with the um, developer and uh, sometimes these uh, publishing arrangements or publishing deals could could be also you know kind of bundled or coupled mm. with the investment so I think it's one way to kind of uh, cement uh, the relationship it's not yet that you would get fully married because often these publishing agreements you know cover maybe one one title not necessarily the full portfolio. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, then again, there's different ways to do publishing deals. So different type of uh, revenue share, profit share, you know, kind of uh, uh, arrangements and minimum guarantees and all this. So it's not that all the publishing deals would be equal, but yeah. it is a one, one way to uh, basically uh, enter into a commercial relationship partnership uh, with the with the developer and uh, uh, we think that sometimes it's, it's the best way to start so um, and uh, you can always then build uh, on top of it if it, if it succeeds and uh, uh, clearly you know I would go back to our mission to empower billions of people to play together so uh, we, uh, <laughs> we need a lot of games and we need uh, a lot of amazing teams to get there and uh, we are highly excited uh, um, where we can go um, on the publishing publishing front and uh, um, yeah um, I hope I answered um, well it's, it's clear like in the sense that as you as you're getting more war chest to to build and buy to to execute the MA strategy and to grow you can't like you have to start somewhere and that formulates your strategy. It's really difficult if you just straight up say, we're going to do it exactly like Platika does it or like Zynga does it because they've been doing it for a long time and they've, and they've evolved to that place where they do it this way. So the way I, what I'm hearing is you're open to multiple different versions of, and as time passes, as more and more teams join through different ways, whether it's publishing, whether it's um, an early acquisition where they have something and you're building together to get to somewhere, uh, or whether it's a, a whole, you know, semi, not semi, just successful company that has a lot of growth potential. And they will be, of course, having a different deal because they are in an absolutely different place compared to, to the, the companies you're publishing or compared to the small teams that have something promising that you're helping them to, to build. So that's that's the way I'm understanding it is as the time passes, just like with everything, it evolves, but you're starting with multiple starting points that are already set up. Yeah, absolutely. So we are flexible. We can be uh, highly flexible even, you know, uh, if, if the team is awesome and, and the game event, event better, 
So there's no kind of one size yeah. fits for all. And uh, that's what we've be, we, we been really thinking that how can we make a bigger impact? And uh, that's why we have a, a great uh, toolbox. Yeah. Uh, we can do publishing deals, we can do investments, and uh, we will be doing acquisitions as well. So um, again, the IPO is really just enabling us to do this systematically and uh, at the kind of a bigger global scale. Uh, that's the game plan. So, so let's talk about the, uh, the acquisition. So 300 million is a lot. And what kind of genres and companies you're looking for? Because in the end, like you have done acquisitions already. I think your latest one was an ad tech company. Uh, and before that, there was a smaller company here out of Finland uh, that made the... Um, um, Double Star. Double they did Star. the Bo- Boland uh, game. Exactly. So- we, we did uh, uh, we did announce uh, uh, three uh, acquisitions uh, in 2020 uh, last year, and uh, so in that sense again we've been doing acquisitions uh, uh, already, and uh, there's more uh, in the pipeline. First, you know, let me comment this 300 million that uh, our war chest isn't equal. Uh, size to kind of IPO proceeds as we have existing cash reserves, continued company profitability, and now kind of better access to capital markets. So actually we have more market explosives. And uh, uh, again, the really good news is that after we've completed our IPO, we'll be in position to accelerate our kind of execution of build and buy uh, what we do so uh, your your question was uh, uh, about um, uh, acquisitions yeah. and uh, what type of um, acquisitions we we'd be looking for. So uh, I think it's it's a very much about um, um, the teams and uh, kind of team founder uh, level alignment. Again, if that doesn't exist, it's a really difficult thing for for us to to. Um, team up and uh, um, when when there is that, uh, when there's the kind of strong team uh, uh, fit uh, and match, I think we can be quite category agnostic again, because when you think of the huge mission, billions of people playing together, think of that scale. So we know that we'll be needing many games and in many ways, variety and differentiation are definitely Part of the keywords one needs to remember when obsessing over continued long-term growth. So, uh, but we as a company, it's it's also I'd say that we have uh, perhaps more knowledge when it comes to example social casino and casual gaming than um, if we would do a kind of a something like a PUBG uh, first-person shooter. So clearly, you know, we have our own. Uh, uh, kind of a expertise areas where we have more more knowledge. Uh, but if you take a more long, long-term view, so clearly you need to also follow where the market is heading. And uh, as you know, mobile gaming is a highly dynamic market that continues to evolve and grow pretty much all the time. So we don't, we don't, we don't have a strict, uh, that, that sort of a playbook that would say that we only do these sort of a games or those games. So we are open-minded. Um, it's a lot about uh, 
the teams we are. I think the success in this industry is uh, quite uh, talent driven. So uh, it's talent and data, right? You need a lot of uh, data as well um, uh, and, and capital uh, to scale. So I think we have uh, talent, we have data, and uh, we certainly have capabilities to scale. And, uh, uh, you know, the uh, Chris Petrovitz uh, podcast, so like they work their way up, starting from a slightly smaller acquisitions and then moving all the way up to, up to peak. So I think it's a journey. So like we've had a journey so far, you know, my 20 years. So now we are starting a new chapter, uh, becoming a public global company. And uh, it means that we need to be uh, gradually building trust uh, with the investors. And uh, probably, you know, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we would be following somewhat similar pattern, uh, kind of moving first from slightly smaller to bigger acquisitions. I think it's quite natural that your ambition level is growing, you know, while you see success. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that makes sense. And it's not even only the ambition level that grows as you see success, but it's also that your stock price is increasing. And when that happens, that the acquisition. That, that, uh, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully that will happen. And yeah. uh, that certainly would be helpful. <laughs> And then, yeah, that's the that's the more access to capital part. So, so of course, being a public company gives you that. And the second part, what it gives you is instead of buying with with pure cash, you can also offer part cash, part shares. Where the new teams, as you say, alignment with the founders or with the teams that are joining, if there's a great alignment, then there's probably great alignment in terms of giving them shares of the company because now they're aligned to to your growth, and and through that they're they're you know part of part of huge. Uh, and I, I like the uh, the category agnostic approach. Uh, I understand that from from uh, from casino, the first point is always go casual because that's a lot of your audience where it's coming from. So of course, more of a vertical integration. But at the same time, with elements like publishing and um, and yeah, just understanding that the market is, I wouldn't say it's volatile, but it's growing at the same time to all the different directions. So understanding where the where the puck is heading in, in different in different category allows you to also invest in those. So makes makes all the sense. Uh, but let me ask you this: What you know? Why would uh, why would a, a company go with huge with you rather than they would go with you know some of these other companies that we've talked about or companies like Applovin that that essentially are you know almost like purely data driven uh, data offers. Or companies like Stillfront, which seem to just acquire and and that's it. Welcome to the family. I'll see you in the uh, in the next quarterly. <laughs> Keep doing what you guys are doing. So I don't know. That's not a Stillfront strategy. That's just a joke. But uh, but it's it's like you know saying that they are very hands off. Let's put it this way. Yeah, you know, you know, I may be positively a bit biased. Uh, so, uh, why would someone choose any of those other companies, you know, versus us? Uh, that's, that's what I would be asking why. I think those companies, uh, some of those you mentioned, they're fine companies. And yes, some of them may have a higher market cap or more capital than we do, maybe. Uh, does that make them more interesting company or a better team to team up? 
first of all, I don't think that having a higher market cap necessarily means that they would be paying better or making a better offer. So, uh, uh, but um, uh, I think, you know, what's the best fit and match uh, for developer X, Y, uh, Z. So that depends a lot. Um, what we've learned uh, and what we are trying to do is, again, listen and understand the fellow founders. And uh, often uh, when I talk with the other founders of our mission and uh, where we are coming from, I feel that those teams that can relate and uh, uh, with our journey and what I've done and uh, if that resonates with their own experience and view of the world. So I think then that's already a kind of a great starting point for having this sort of a founder alignment. And uh, uh, often the founders are, uh, what I've kind of uh, learned, um, many of them want to make money. Obviously, you know, you start your company. Uh, one of the dreams is to uh, <laughs> see see some uh, monetary rewards um, coming out of that. And secondly, you know, most of the people in gaming, I think, uh, honestly, are truly excited of what we do here and excited of building games. And that's what we want to do. So we want to help uh, uh, the founders and teams to uh, see the maximum success and the maximum impact uh, uh, and uh, help them uh, to achieve more. And I think that's highly, highly appealing. And uh, when um, um, the founders can see that we are honest, we are authentic with, with, with these things that we truly mean and want to do all that, I think uh, then we can be the best company uh, to team up with. We have a amazing uh, uh, kind of a technology data capabilities um, uh, that we are very proud of. Um, and uh, what we are doing uh, now on the UA side, we bought the playable platform, smart self-optimizing playables. I think we have probably the best playables uh, in the industry. And uh, that's also one thing that if you think of the um, kind of a developers who are still in a smaller scale. Um, I think uh, what they need is that sort of a know-how. How can you really, you know, kind of uh, be uh, taking your UA activities uh, uh, to a whole new level? That's what we can provide. And um, um, it's, it's a lot about uh, playing together again. So, um, I think location matters. Even even you know during the COVID, um, people are working uh, remotely, but still the location and the time zone matters as well because <clears throat> uh, you would like to have uh, engagement. You would like to be uh, kind of getting the benefit uh, uh, from the uh, know-how and uh, from the ongoing operations. So uh, um, in that sense. Uh, if most of our people are located in Europe. So we are a global company, but uh, purely in numbers. So most of our people, and uh, we tend, there tends to be more going on now in the kind of European time zone. Yeah. So I think for us, as an example, it would be a bit better to find uh, teams and studios that would be more close by 
versus you know going somewhere where we have very little going on and and uh, that's sort of the things that we would be looking for but it's always about building relationships it's difficult to get the timing right because uh, we have different things going on on our side and the same goes for the developers so sometimes you need to have a lot of patience to be building those relationships for the kind of right moment to come and and uh, uh, then when that happens, you are seizing the opportunity and uh, hopefully doing something much bigger together. And uh, uh, yeah. If somebody would ask me to summarize like like your approach on it, it's really what you see is what you get. I mean, when when you when somebody would meet you, they would see a, a T-shirt or a hoodie that says huge. When, when you come to your office, there's always red and white with huge. Everywhere. Absolutely. So, so, so the alignment that you're really looking for with the founders, in my perception, is like, well, do you want to become huge? That's that's basically it. that's basically the question. It, it's like you're looking a lot for for the people who are really after the growth. Of course, money is money is an incentive till a certain point, and that point actually comes much quicker than you would you would uh, anticipate at some point you already kind of had everything that you wanted to have and then everything extra doesn't make you happy so so what really makes you happy and in most people especially with the game developers is they are happy when when people are playing what they've created and being really happy with what they've created like personally speaking when i've seen uh, people play the games that i work on and that i've made and and I would see them just playing it in a, in a bus or somewhere else. That's really powerful. You can't buy that with money. And, and when they would tell it you- It makes like, you well, happy. Yeah, it uh, makes when you happy. When, you, when we still went uh, and uh, you know, used the airplanes, uh, when you saw people on a plane playing yeah. your game, uh, yeah. that's, that's a happiness uh, right there. Exactly. And because you know that that's, that's one person, but you know the data and there's actually millions of them. But now you just saw one in the in, in the wild and that's actually happening. And you're providing some sort of an entertainment uh, to, to a lot of people, like more than in, in, in Finland sometimes in the whole country. So so that that I understand that part. And that would be kind of like my summary of, of what you guys are like, what is the alignment with, with specific founders? And not every founder is like that. There are founders that have been you know, grinding at it for 10 years and they kind of want to take a break. And, and sometimes the exit for them is, is that kind of an exit. And then another, another company would probably be better because they're already profitable. They already have a certain point and the founders might be, you know, looking to get into cryptocurrency or something else. Fine. <laughs> then, yeah. Then the kind of tail, tail of the cap tables. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, usually, you know, uh, there's, uh, uh, if there's investors, so there's these different stakeholders that usually most of them want be different things. They don't want to have the same things. And uh, then, then uh, yeah, you, you try to, you know, um, solve uh, those situations to help uh, that company, that game uh, to basically get to a new level. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, it's not that... Uh, uh, all of those uh, cases would be the right cases for us. So um, I kind of, uh, uh, we are looking um, very specific teams uh, ourselves. And uh, um, as you know, purely from research point of view, uh, most of the MA based on research fails. Yeah. So, and, and why it fails is uh, because of the kind of human factor and, and uh, uh, the, 
integration, the seizing the synergies. Uh, it's actually a lot of work, and and uh, that's why um, um, you really need to kind of uh, focus on the buy part to do it right. And um, uh, we've been doing that um, already. You know, last year three acquisitions. We are looking to do more acquisitions uh, this year, and uh, yet um, um, you know you 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 need to stay alert, and uh, you you. Um, um, need to be highly selective uh, what type of um, uh, deals and partnerships um, you are building. And uh, uh, that's super exciting. Uh, new uh, uh, kind of era starting for us because we, again, we can do that uh, on a um, totally different uh, uh, scale uh, compared to the past. So um, um, super excited of that. So let me ask you this, what makes a social casino publisher exceptionally good at M&A? Because, you know, we have, well, Aristocrat is, is in all the genres pretty much with like Plariums and, and um, Big Fish. <laughs> I mean, that's a giant company. Uh, Platika, really successful in entering social, uh, not so sorry, uh, casual games. I think they're looking now to Midcore now that they've, now that they've uh, figured out uh, casual you got moon active now going well you can argue that it isn't social casino or it is social casino but i would say it's a social casino because of the slots and and the potential uh law threats with that that makes it <laughs> social casino automatically um so they're they're now active in in acquisition just purchased a company out of uh, i believe ukraine and side games uh, i don't know if they've already expanded outside social casino but for sure they're looking for for a lot of targets outside social casino. So so why why social casino companies are so good at M and A? I think there's uh, uh, maybe three main things how I would uh, kind of sum it up. Um, first, generally speaking, um, I think uh, successful social casino publishers are more advanced uh, with their monetization, CRM, live ops capabilities. Uh, clearly, the category-wide KPI speak behalf of that statement. So when you look at, example, from an art doubt point of view, the categories, generally speaking, is doing very well. And uh, the successful social casino publishers have learned how to do, you know, personal offers and all these things at, uh, uh, I would say, more efficiently and a more smart way compared uh, to... Uh, uh, other genres, uh, again, generally speaking. Secondly, um, social casino publishers, uh, uh, the successful ones, all are using uh, and doing kind of sizable investments into marketing and UA. So uh, these companies have developed also capabilities to scale and buy traffic. And uh, this requires you, you need to be sophisticated when it comes to data and, and, and this sort of a thing. So the successful social casino companies tend to have the infra to, to you know, uh, do all that. Uh, thirdly, uh, the social casino being uh, kind of relatively sizable category, um, the successful social casino publishers are generating positive cash flow. Um, and uh, this has enabled uh, uh, and grown the appetite to further invest. So it's not surprising at all 
that uh, uh, some of our kind of social casino peers uh, are looking to do the same thing what we've been doing already and, and uh, basically uh, expanding beyond social, social casino. And uh, um, yeah, I think it kind of boils down to those uh, three, three points. There are, of course, uh, more company-specific things behind why certain companies are doing um, M&A. And uh, I can comment behalf of huge. Uh, I wouldn't be commenting behalf of those those companies, but um, those would be my general uh, observations. Like my observation from Casino is this. Uh, with Casino, whether you're doing bingo, whether you're doing slots, whether you're doing um, poker, you have a core game that is proven to work like you know that slots are working it's you're not going to reinvent so basically as a developer or as a publisher that moves your focus to meta and marketing because that's where the competition happens it won't happen in the absolute core you won't reinvent slots so that creates a genre that is extremely competitive and an extremely competitive genre where meta and marketing are the keys to victory uh, you, that leads to unrivaled data platforms because your paybacks are very long. Uh, you have to focus on out-marketing, outstanding out your competition and out-monetizing your competition with essentially the same games. And the focus is very, very KPI driven. And the data has to be extremely accurate because, because of the paybacks, because of the size of the investments and the, the time it takes for the investments to come back. So. That's why I think Social Casino is uh, the most data-driven, is because of the nature of the games. So the so Social Casino um, uh, is a, a highly sustainable uh, business. So you look at the uh, cohorts and uh, the kind of retention curve. I think that's additional point that has helped. If you have a kind of a, a very sustainable core business, I think it helps uh, then to uh, build new business on top of that when uh, um, you know that your core business is not going anywhere. And uh, that gives you confidence uh, to, to, to expand. And, uh, but you are right, uh, the kind of a core game, I would argue that there's innovation going on also uh, with slots. There's different sort of uh, slots mechanics and we are using multiplayer uh, mechanics ourselves so uh, it's not exactly as simple as you are perhaps uh, saying but I get your point yeah I, I just try to oversimplify in the sense to to understand where the other competition of course uh, what also makes social casino so interesting is uh, because to my understanding players who play social casino games play multiple games at the same time especially the best players so that that now increases your like not increases just makes the cross promotion as one of the key elements for driving growth and portfolio management one of the key elements of driving growth. So there's a lot of these elements that social casino companies focus that actually make them good at portfolio management at driving a larger portfolios because that's the nature of their core business. Unlike with, with, certain, uh, with certain other genres, for example. Um, so so let's, let's move on to the, uh, the last question. The last question always is IDFA. Uh, so, so of course, with Social Casino, tremendous long tails. You got fantastic CRM systems. You know everything about cross promotion, so that probably pulls you into IDFV area. 
and you really take most out of out of your customers and, and social casino so not take well and give most to your customers if you will so turn it other way around so how much risk is involved and how much risk is huge willing to take at this time where there's a lot of talk about idfa and we don't know how this turns out exactly but at the same time you're making your acquisitions at this moment will it be so that that now you're preferring to do well actually you are doing the smaller ones because you're kind of ramping up but but are you willing to take bigger risks without really knowing what happens with idfa like what's your what's your take on that i've been listening you and uh, eric talking about idfa and i think it's an interesting talking point as people have different views scenarios it's speculative so there's no final details what will happen and what will apple do so i believe that mobile gaming and i'm talking of both ios android and whatnot that the various personal devices we all use that there will be more people playing games and that the overall macro outlook is is looking fantastic think of the last year two point plus 2.5 billion people playing free to play games globally that's a mind-blowing number only to get bigger in coming years so when there is this fuss and hush over idfa i think it's good to calm down a bit and let's see how how this plays out so i believe that the industry evolution platform changes and updates we are talking of a highly dynamic growth industry and always when there's this sort of a changes it does provide growth opportunities as well as of course oppose risks so um that that you are kind of mentioning about from a huge point of view i can say that we have highly professional team we built a dedicated idfa task force and we are prepared for various scenarios uh, and uh, as i already bit highlighted earlier when talking of the playables we've uh, really uh, set the focus on what we do on a creative level so we believe that the value of uh, creative and the capabilities to succeed on creative fronts is going to be ever more important in future regardless how the exact final idfa details pan out so uh, i'm i'm pretty you know kind of a, on a short term neutral i think uh i'm not uh, uh negative at all i see these changes as a kind of opportunity for the uh nimble and agile ones and uh secondly if i take step back and think more of the long term i'm very bullish uh mm. because of the got a positive uh, macro wins uh the industry um, is having yeah yeah i understand it makes makes total sense and and you know our discussions are, are kind of never ending it's it's a topic that that is that many people have different views because we don't know what's going to happen but i would agree that that um it's not going to be apocalyptic it's going to be just different and there's going to be adjustment period and i think it's going to level the playing field a little bit uh, before the uh, the most agile and nimble ones and the most well resourced can again get the edge, so so I, I see it more like a like a that. So Anton, thank you so much for joining. I want to give you the final words, the the final floor to 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 tell your piece before you get to start with your morning. It's I mean it's already eight a.m. here in Helsinki. 
Thanks for having having me. I want to send a huge hello to all friends and industry experts around the globe. Since we announced our IPO plan, many of you have reached out. Thank you for your support. I've been doing this for many years, and now we are approaching this historical milestone. There would be, there are, and there would be so many people to thank for. But to keep it brief, I'll collect collectively just say one more time, thank you. We at Huge Games love you uh, and look forward to playing together years to come. Do check in often and let us know about you, about your game. That's it. Thanks, Miska. Let's get more coffee. Bye. Bye.